0: i'm honored you had me as your inaugural guest i feel very much at home in that home what a joy it is what an honor it is to have the sounds of a family echoing in those walls the home is filled with the heartbeat of the start of our lives together
1: I'm Jeremiah Brent, and this is my wonderful husband, Nate, who you'll be hearing a lot more from in this episode. Welcome to the Ideas of Order podcast, designed by California Closets. This is the show dedicated to answering the question, what does home mean to you? In this series, we will be discussing the homes, spaces, and the communities that have really helped shape our guests' past, present, and how they hope it will shape their future. I'm going to be talking to some incredible creatives, you guys. Fashion expert Tan France, design legend Rachel Zoe, and honestly, so many more. I'm so very excited that we get to open our doors to you. People always ask me what it is that truly makes a home a home. And I think you'd probably be surprised to hear that my answer really has never anything to do with a design choice. My answer is always built around the art of creating a space that tells your story. As I move through this journey called fatherhood and find myself capturing and collecting new memories daily, I've slowly learned how to pause and really remember the nuance of these vignettes and the precise time that they took place. I want to remember the feeling behind every photo. Desperate to remember the sound of Poppy's laugh at her sixth birthday party. (laughs)
0: you.
1: You know, I want to remember the conversation being had at the exact moment we found that piece of pottery displayed in our living room. As I sit here and record this podcast in this home that we had, the gift of coming back to this last year with our two kids, I feel so grounded by the memories and the echoes that the room holds. Yet, I'm ready to embrace what's new to come. So today on this very inaugural episode of Ideas of Order, I wanted to bring a little of what home means to me. In this particular case, it's far less an idea or a thing that makes a space a home and more so a person My person, a person known for their work on The Oprah Winfrey Show, author of multiple books, including the New York Times bestseller, The Things That Matter, and television designer superstar. He's never going to forgive me for saying that. It is my distinct pleasure and joy that I welcome to the show designer, author, host, friend, and father, whose compendium of credits could fill a whole episode, my husband, the forever mesmerizing and exponentially talented Nate Berkus. (laughs) Thank you for
0: having me, babe. You're also my person.
1: Well, I was trying to figure out how I could talk to you more because we just don't spend enough time together, you know? No. How have you been? Yeah, I'm like, let's hear some new stories. I can't (laughs) wait. All right, so let's begin with the past, And I want to get into this discussion by talking with you essentially about what you wrote the book on, which is spaces. And, you know, when I say spaces, I don't just mean homes or necessarily physical rooms. I mean, you know, community, perspectives, sentiments, objects. And as you moved through your younger life, is there a space that you really felt the most held? And where was that? You know, where did this journey for you begin?
0: My journey, and I think the first time that it occurred to me that a space could keep you or that a space could hold you, as you say, was probably my 13-year-old bedroom. My parents gave me... If those walls could talk. I mean, seriously. (laughs) But no, I mean, my parents gave me my own room, and my mother, who was an interior designer at the time, allowed me to help design it. And the ownership that I felt over making those decisions... The connection I felt to the space because I was included in selecting the paint color and the wallpaper and carpeting and all of those things really cemented in me a lifelong understanding of how powerful design really is. And when you see yourself reflected, your taste, your view, your point of view in a room, how at home you can really feel in that space. And it happened to me as a kid and I've never let go of that magic. I hang on to it every day, both in how we live with our children and our family, but also the honor that I have in creating spaces for other people to find themselves in. What did the room look like? It was hideous. (laughs) So nothing's changed. No, I still have marginal (laughs) taste at best. It was gray and red and black and white with wood accents. So that dates me squarely at 19... 83 or 85 or whatever it was, you know, it was the height of fashion at the time. And looking back on it, it also is one of the things that made me so vehemently anti-trend because I look at photos of that room now and I think that's so of the moment, you know, four mica countertops and white wallpaper with red broken stripes in my bathroom. And it was so ugly. It looks like a before on one of the episodes on our show.
1: Your mom was obviously a really talented interior designer and professionally that was what she did for your entire adolescence. But the way she, the compositions and the way she layers things and the way that she sees the world, I see actually a lot of you.
0: So I was wondering if you think she heavily influenced the way you design. I think her most fundamental influence on me was that she taught me to appreciate things that are old and things that are vintage and things that are one of a kind. And she took me as a child on the weekends or after school to these like multi-dealer antiques malls that are in every town USA and taught me how to go to the front desk and ask them to open up a case 10 miles away in the back or the basement when I saw one little object that spoke to me you know, in a glass case, floor to ceiling filled with 500 things. So the skill set around never knowing what you're going to stumble across was instilled in me as a kid. If you back out of that scenario, yes, she taught me to be aware of my surroundings. She taught me that things matter. She taught me that a bookshelf is just not a shelf to throw stuff on. It's an opportunity to create a visual vignette or a story, even my brother and sister, if you really look at their homes, what they have out has been placed there. I may not like everything that they live with or that my mother lives with, but it was placed on a shelf or on a mantle or on a side table with purpose. Right. And so I think that was the great gift of my mother's vision. My mother's more of an artist than I am, but she always was taking me sort of by the hand and showing me the ropes as a kid of what the inside of an antique store or a flea market could be and how you could take something back from those places and start to create a narrative around what was important to you. You know, I don't agree with you. You don't? Well, I agree. No, I don't agree with you. That's weird. That's so weird. Hold on. Give me a moment to process the shock.
1: Speaking of the ideas of order, I don't agree with you when you say that you're not an artist. You know, I think that it's such a subjective word. And I think the truth is what is beautiful about you and what I think the artistry of the way you design is it's so deeply personal. And, you know, you're the first person to ever taught me that the things in your home, the objects should matter just as much as other things matter to me in a home. And I think you do that and you tell a story, a really beautiful story with the people you work through those things. And that is the type of artistry. So I just wanted to give you a little bit of credit just because this is a safe place and I don't have to hear about it later.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but you know what? I would argue that artistry is having an idea and sort of craft and create that out of nothing, which is something that you can do. Like your upcoming book was a concept that you created out of thin air. Whereas for me, I've always viewed myself as more like a a really good shopper and a really skilled shopper, number one, and sourcer, but also more of an editor. And if I have all these elements together, I can push them in a way and mold them in a way that will create something to me that feels layered and interesting. But if you give me a blank piece of paper, I'm lost.
1: I would like to watch just what happens with you, like piece of paper, actually.
0: Nothing, nothing. <laughs> I'll just like set it down, go get a snack, come back, <laughs> shop online, come back.
1: You know, that room, the way it looked, I'm sure it went through 10 different iterations, this your 13th room. But what did that space at that time, what did that hold for you? Like what events were happening in that time of your life that made it stand out to you? Because it can't, it's not just aesthetically, there had to be something going on.
0: No, 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 definitely. And I think that the answer to that is that it was the first opportunity that I had to experiment creatively with anything. It was the first moment that I had to really get an understanding that decisions led to other decisions and options were out there and you could define the way that you lived and you could surround yourself with things that you loved and that you liked and that there was an incredible independence that came from that. In all fairness, I didn't have to share that room with my little brother, Jesse. So there was independence inherently because it was all mine. But I think the, the heart lesson, like the real soul lesson in that, was that there finally was a space that not only reflected me, but was for me. And I think that it defined what feeling at home really, really is about. It was extremely powerful to have this zone that was for me and given to me, but also reflected me. And I've wished that for everyone from that moment forward.
1: Let's now move on to the present. I am sitting right now in our house in Fifth Avenue, which is the first house that we ever bought together, that we ever designed together. You know, it has been kind of this solarium of experiences in so many ways good and bad for us we fought really 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 hard to get it back but you know it's been about four years since we last lived in the city now and with nearly half a decade of growth and change under our belts as well as this newly lived lens of present day you what does returning to New York mean to you?
0: I think that it was another stop on our journey as a family. It didn't even occur to me when we were living in L.A. that moving back to New York would be an option. I think I didn't think about it because, to me, it felt like moving backwards, not moving forwards, just sort of geographically or maybe from an adventurous stand of point of view. But I think what moving back to New York means to me and moving back to that house has meant to me is that It's shown me that the four of us can do anything. We can uproot, we can move, we can leave. We'll be happy wherever we land. I feel cosseted by that home. I feel very much at home in that home. The muscle memory of having lived there the first time, it looks different, but the light switches are in the same place. And that means something to me. I would have never done it had you not said, let's do it, you know, you, you know, I tried to back out of buying the house again, 25 times, 30 times. Yeah, I was terrified. <laughs> but, you know, now that we're there, it feels like where we were supposed to be. It almost feels like when you have fear around something, but you make the decision and it feels so right that you look back and it doesn't make sense why you were nervous or afraid to begin with. I always say it was like um, a second chance at first love.
1: Mm -hmm. You get to go back and do everything different. When you're here, I mean, when you're in this house, are there any memories you're always triggered by that happened here?
0: You know, it's funny. I'm triggered by a couple of very distinct memories. The first is coming home to that house when we actually moved in the first time and I had to be out of town for work and you were alone and you set everything up. Yeah. And you were so nervous. For me to see it like you yeah. had been like working well you had been working like for hours like all night long and i walked in and you were like well i set up the living room like what do you think and it was this cute kind of moment where i was like oh my god we're like playing grown-ups right now like this is the craziest thing in the entire world like we're kids like what are we doing living in this beautiful apartment like this is insane But it also was like that moment where I realized that you and I are always going to be moving stuff around and trying things out in different ways over and over and over again until we felt good, both of us, about it. So that's one memory. And the other is when we were pregnant with Poppy and we had built out her little bedroom and the moment was you and I standing in front of this little closet and you opened the door and the light went on automatically and I'll never forget it and there was a crib set up, and there were little dresses hanging there, and it was the start of our life as we know it. It was such a poignant moment, and I burst into tears, and everyone knows I'm not a crier. Me either. And you probably had been crying for two hours about it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But it was, you know, and I'll never forget that moment, and now that room has been modified, and it's our home office, but the closet's still there, and inside are all the little drawers, and now they hold all the families stationary and charging things and all of that. But the knobs are the same. And we screwed those knobs on ourselves. And so the home is filled with the heartbeat of the start of our lives together.
1: Yeah, there's some really strong echoes here. You know, and I think, you know, that moment in particular and why I think it's so significant to the both of us is, you know, you're standing there and like the physical manifestation of a dream that is come true you know I think the idea that we always wanted to have a family but how is that even possible before that I didn't think I was ever going to be married I didn't think I was ever going to find love I was like I'm going to be alone with some dogs you know I'm going to have a great life a great sofa (laughs) and I'll be fine you know who else do I need Um, Get some frosted tips and call it a day.
0: I think a lot of your ex boyfriends would agree.
1: Okay. Let's not bring them into here. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's another show and you don't want to go down that road.
0: (laughs) Can I do the booking for the rest of the podcast after the (laughs) inaugural episode? Oh, yeah. And it'll just be a surprise to you. Like they'll just pop up and you'll be like, oh, shit.
1: I'm like, oh, God, what's Lachlan doing here? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Being in the house this time, when you look around, how do you feel like it's changed? since having our family and the kids here.
0: Oh, I mean, you know, you've said this about everywhere we've lived since we had kids, but the sounds, you always hear like little legs running up and down stairs. You always hear a door slam or an electric toothbrush and you know, all their little noises that they make. Oscar's Lego table in the middle of his room, which of course, because you're nuts, we have 19 cameras on the kids at all times, but you hear it echoed through the house. You know, him digging for the perfect Lego piece. I mean, those sounds are the soundtrack of our life. It's incredible to me. That's the first thing that I would say is so different. And then what a joy it is. What an honor it is to have the sounds of a family echoing in those walls. To see all the little crap that our daughter leaves everywhere. Little toys and weird stuff and her weird sort of installations that she builds everywhere, even on the windowsills of her classroom, her teachers have said. You know, and how our son is always hanging on to some toy. He can't leave the house without something in his hand. And he always sets that down. So I'll either sit on it or it'll be on the kitchen table or on the kitchen island. You know, what I really love is the little moments, the shower time at night for them and tucking them in and reading Charlotte's Web or Ramona Quimby. That's what the house is. Did you ever think... Like that kid in that room at 13, like, did you ever think life would look and feel like this? I didn't think it was even an option. I didn't think that it was possible. I mean, at the time, you know, gay marriage wasn't legal or recognized or common. Even surrogacy didn't exist when I was 13 years old in anything that's recognizable to how it exists today. And we knew that when our both of our kids were born, as we stood in the rooms, with the surrogates when they were born, we looked at each other and we knew that it was the convergence of social change and climate and political change and science and opportunity. All those things had to lock into place. And all these people had to fight for that opportunity for families like ours to even exist. So no, when I was 13, this was not a possible chapter later in my life because i'd never heard of it before and i'd never seen anybody else have it i
1: mean you're very lucky that's all i'll say like
0: i (laughs) take full credit for this
1: beautiful life that you live wow you know
0: you do for the science and the all of it like you did you did you figure out that part not that
1: part but the rest
0: (laughs) okay you marched so that we could get married when you were nine
1: marching every day up and down those stairs So, Nate, can I call you Nate?
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> Mr. Burkus, until we have, we've had at least, you know, Mr. Burkus is fine.
1: Okay, you're obviously a busy man. You know, on a day-to-day basis, you're switching your hat from hat to hat, managing to not only succeed in, you know, these uniquely challenging endeavors, but you thrive you know, amidst the chaos that comes with this kind of entrepreneurial spirit. When do you find a moment for you
0: Hmm. Um, well. This is where we're going to put the cliffhanger sound right in there. (laughs) First of all, the first thing in the morning is for me. You graciously wake up with the children and get them ready and get them, you know, breakfast on the table and all of that. I've never been a morning person. When you're out of town and all of those responsibilities fall on me, I have to like talk myself off a ledge of being so stressed that I'm going to like burn their toast and poppy will tell me my eggs taste like nothing and you know all this stuff so the first thing in the morning I really like to center myself and have a beat maybe if I'm feeling like energetically too swept up in the chaos I'll go get a manicure for a half an hour or a foot massage, which is like my ultimate luxury. I mean, a half hour here and there of something that's purely quote unquote selfish resets me completely and allows me to address the family and you and work and my teams in a totally different way. I used to think you were such an asshole because you would
1: go and do your own thing. You'd be like, you know what? I need an hour to go like take care of myself. And I'd be like, oh, really? You do? (laughs) You know, the truth is I'm from a deeply Catholic family where everybody's used to being a martyr and not putting themselves first. And you were the first person that ever looked at me and was like, you know what? You have got to take care of you first. You you know, you always use that analogy. You got to put your oxygen mask on first and then the people around you. But it had a big impact on me. And I think really helped me start carving, you know, these own personal rituals, even for myself, because that kind of, that's what helps me take time for myself. All right, so I want us now to take a look into the future in terms of space and home and career or even mindset. What do you imagine is most imperative for future Nate?
0: I would almost like just say this and not even elaborate on it. If you'd let me, I knew when you and I met that you were enough in every way. I doubt it. And when we had our kids, I knew that they were enough and they were exactly, they are exactly who they are supposed to be in every way. So the future for me doesn't really have anything to do with space or geography or, decorating. It just has to do with the four of us. And wherever the four of us land is good enough for me. I really feel that to the core of my being. We could live anywhere. We could be surrounded by anything. And so I'm just here with the three of you, wherever that takes us.
1: Oh, babe, you're so sweet today. (laughs) It's breaking my heart. I mean, do you see a future in this house or is it just you're really just open to anything? I mean,
0: sure. You know, I love our home. I love the echoes of our life and our lives there. I love everything about it. I really do. And I love New York City. I'm not like ready to go, but I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go with wherever life takes us. And maybe we'll keep this house for 30 years or maybe we won't. You know, to me, None of it matters. Like what matters is what we are teaching our kids and how our kids are every ounce as comfortable in Merida, Mexico, as they are in a hotel lobby or on a street corner in Paris, France, or at the park two blocks away from their front door. I love the adventure that we're on. That's the only thing that matters to me. The trappings of it are secondary. I love that. Is there like an adventure or a chapter of life that
1: we haven't lived that excites you in the future?
0: It all excites me, all of it. Even thinking about what could be is super exciting. And even if that's exactly what we're doing right now and the the kids are just older and getting to know them as they get older and getting to know each other as we get older, you know, even that's exciting to me. I'm thinking about encouraging them not to get older. I mean, I would love for them not to get older. It's actually the most trite and true thing in the entire world that it goes so fast. You know, the only connection is like in your phone, these videos and photos of their little voices and everything. It's crazy. I know. Crazy. It goes so fast. It's so annoying to say out loud, but it really does. What you said the other day, to me, I think is unique about you as a parent. You said, all the stuff that people think is so hard is the stuff that I love.
1: Yeah. Well, we have fun doing it together. And shockingly, I like doing this podcast with you.
0: You do? Yeah, you're doing it. Who else are you asking besides me? Like, who are upcoming guests that people should know?
1: Well, babe, you're going to have to stay tuned. You know, I'll send you the link for the podcast for you to listen to. It's great for when you're walking to work.
0: I love that you think that I can open a link. <laughs> <laughs>
1: As we wind down from this really beautiful insight in the life and mind of Nate Berkus, I want to get a little bit more intimate with this next segment. You know, at Ideas of Order, we have a lot to say about the concept of comfort and growth, both in the home and in life. My personal ideas of order revolve around, you know, ceremony and ritual, uh, the idea of establishing the energy consistently in our home. And so, for this little fireside tete a tete. It's just you and me and a few quick fire questions to dig in a little bit deeper.
0: Are you ready? Okay. All right. What has home taught you? Home has taught me that when you see yourself in your space, the physical manifestation of your personality in your space, it's a really good thing.
1: What is the most surprising space you've ever loved?
0: I think it was the little tiny apartment on 12th Street that we lived in when we were renovating this house that we live in now for the very first time, just you and me, pre-kids. And it was so small and it was just so fun. Like we were right around the corner from our project so we could go check on it all the time. And you had the quote, big closet in the bedroom with the two sliding doors and I had the entry closet with like five things to wear every day for eight months.
1: We built a house and we planned a wedding all in that apartment. There was a lot
0: of growth in that space.
1: When do you feel the most at home?
0: I think it's when we're all in the kitchen together, like the four of us. Years ago when my mother redid her kitchen, I came home from school and the kitchen was totally redone and all new counters and cabinets and appliances and everything. And I said, oh, mom, this is so great. Do you like this stove? And she said, I don't even know how to turn it on. I just feel like I'm in a commercial. So when we're all around that kitchen Poppy's got her homework open and Oscar's got his toy on the table and it's pre dinner time. It feels like we're in like a commercial to me about a family. It's funny.
1: All right, last random question. Are you happy right now where you're at? Yes. That's good to hear. I just want to say thank you again to Nate for coming here. It means a lot sharing insight and discovery on what home means to him. I've learned a lot. There's stories that I didn't expect to hear. Is that true?
0: Yeah, you did a great job. Oh, thank well, I'm honored you had me as your inaugural guest. Listen, I got to iron out the kinks. <laughs>
1: It's probably surprising to people that in our home, we really find joy in our imperfections. You know, there's peace in the uncertainty and beauty in feeling and truly being seen. To me, home will always be Nate and Poppy and Oscar and the memories that we all have together. Yes, I mean, we're surrounded by carefully designed rooms and there's plaster walls and the chaotic yet comforting sounds of the city. But for me, home will always be a culmination of memories and warmth from the people that you're surrounded by. Look, at the end of the day, as much as I would love to press pause on the rapid pace that our kids are growing and freeze them at this exact moment in time, I know that there really is so much beauty ahead in the moments that we really can't predict. So here's to the past and here's to the future. Cheers. Join me on our next episode where I talk to designer and host of Netflix Queer Eye, the Emmy-nominated Tan France, about discovering community, cultural representation, and designing your path one piece of denim at a time. For more ideas of order, please visit ideasoforder.com or californiaclosets.com. I'm Jeremiah Brent. You guys, thank you so much for being here today, and we'll see you again soon. Babe, you're going to get some cuddles tonight. You were so sweet. I am. I did it right. Oh, my God. I was like a blushing bride over here. <laughs> Another Everything Podcast production. Visit everythingpodcast.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast.